Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be together. It really is. I, um, uh, I share Dennis's uh, delight hearing us sing, but also just seeing faces and smiling and, and encouraging each other. So um, let's get into things, shall we? Oh, here's my opening scene. You've had a lovely evening. The barramundi was cooked to perfection. The conversation stimulating. The dessert is about to be served. You're surrounded by friends and Derek brings up gay marriage. <laughs> he quotes Jack Black. Now you'd know Jack Black, of course, for such masterpieces as Nacho Libre, um, Tropic Thunder and Kung Fu Panda. And he's just been on the radio that morning, Jack Black, the actor, the American actor, of course. Derek says, how'd you hear what Jack Black said this morning on Today FM? I reckon he's on the money on, on this gay marriage stuff. I reckon he's nailed it. This is what he said. The movement of the world is headed towards equality for all people, all sexual preferences. Come on, we're all the same in the end, Jack Black said. Uh, who cares what, get, what got you sexually aroused? Other friend around the table said, like, what does it matter anyway? Like, if they love each other, what does it matter? Why can't they get married? Man, these people who, uh, these people who, sh who say they shouldn't, well, they're just bigots and homophobes. Well, how would you respond? <laughs> you were there, one of eight, sitting around the table, whatever it might be. How would you respond to that situation? Maybe you've been in similar situations at work or watching the soccer or something like that. Uh, do you say anything? What do you say? Or should you get up and help with dessert? Um, <laughs> some help in the kitchen needed. Well, today, friends, my, our aim really is to get a little bit of clarity and, I guess, a little bit of help for followers of Jesus in this very public and very complex, social and difficult issue, marriage and society's push to redefine it. Why is it difficult, though? Why is it difficult? Well, there's the obvious reason we touched on a moment ago, that if you speak up and argue against same-sex marriage or argue against marriage equality, as it's often called, then there's every chance you will be labelled a homophobe or a bigot or uh, at the very best, you'll be, you'll be labelled an out-of-touch religious weirdo. Second reason also why this topic is particularly difficult is that it's personal. Many of us will have well-thought-out and intelligent, well-educated friends and family that would argue for same-sex marriage and are happy to change the definition. So there's a potential for division, isn't there? And, of course, division is personal. And many of us have friends, too, or family in, in gay relationships. And so our response, again, is a personal one because it involves relationships. There's another reason why it's a personal topic, and that is because there, there may well be people in this room who have wrestled or continue to wrestle with same-sex attraction. And so just to hear a talk about it, well, that's a great challenge for them. So sensitivity and love is an absolute must in our conversations. I hope we hear that very clearly. 
Third reason why this topic is difficult, because it opens up actually a really important can of worms, and that is church and state, um, the role of church and the government. More about that later on, though. Finally, fourth reason why this topic is difficult. We won't get to say everything. And for some of you, that might really frustrate you. Why didn't he talk about this? Because I'm not going to give it a six-week series. That's why. <laughs> um, it's not what defines us. Again, our aim is to get some clarity and focus or direction for those of us who call Jesus their Lord and Saviour. We'll have some time at the end for questions. Again, not necessarily answers, but questions. And that might fill out some, some of the gaps that I leave. So we've got four points with sub-points on why this topic is difficult. Perhaps I should just sit down, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> um, no, no, no. What we ought to do, um, although it is a bit overwhelming, what we ought to do is ask God for help. Uh, we need his help especially when things are difficult. So let's ask him to guide our thoughts, uh, to help us to be like Jesus, and to help us to listen and to love. That's what I'm going to pray for now. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, you're a good God who loves us and cares for us and knows what's best for us. So, Lord, we pray that you would guide our thoughts. You would help us to, to be like Jesus. You would help us to listen, and you would help us to love. Amen. Now, if you're here for the first time today, uh, if you're checking us out or visiting, in one sense, I'm, I'm sorry uh, you've come on this one. Um, but you know, in another sense, I'm not, I guess. Uh, I, I'd rather you remember your experience to be about Jesus. That's what I want you to remember, and even today too, for us regulars. I'd rather Jesus and his great gospel define us, not the topic of same-sex marriage. Again, more on that later on. So, uh, if you haven't got it already open in front of you, there's an outline there. It's pretty well detailed and plus some resources on the back you can follow up at a later date. You might want to jot some things down or ask to ask some questions later on. We've got some time in the service for that as well. One of the big questions that Christians wrestle with on the topic of same-sex marriage uh, is simply to speak or not to speak. I must admit, I'm a little torn. Part of me thinks that gay marriage will probably go through and it's inevitable, especially if a plebiscite continues to be knocked back and, uh, yeah, who knows, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe not, we'll see. We also know that this is not the first time that there's been an assault on traditional marriage. If you're old enough, you'll remember in the mid-1970s uh, the, the no-fault divorce legislation that went through, and the 1960s was the sexual revolution, which meant easy access to the pill and abortion. These things changed the nature of, of sexual relationships. They, they changed the nature of how we think about marriage. And even today, there are dating websites that specifically encourage marriage people to have an affair. So there's the Ashley Madison website, which slogan is, life is short, have an affair. It's breathtaking, isn't it? Unbelievable. And, and we've also seen a huge rise in de facto relationships over the last 10 or 20 years, I guess. Um, de facto relationships which are statistically far more likely to break up than marriages. Try before you buy doesn't work and doesn't make a good marriage. So if we speak... Well, let's not pretend that this is, uh, this is the first time marriage has been under threat or undermined or under, undervalued. Uh, 
You know, even in back, back in 1522, the great reformer Martin Luther, um, theologian and so forth, he commented that the estate of marriage has universally fallen into disrepute. <laughs> so it's nothing really new. That's what we want to say. So if we do speak, then let's think carefully about how we speak. There's a valid concern that Christians who, in their commitment to the truth, ignore Jesus' command to love our neighbour. My fear is, if we're not careful in how we speak, is that the gay community will only hear that the Christian God doesn't love them, that the church doesn't want them, and that somehow that they are somehow viewed as the unforgivable outcasts of our society. I guess the, the tension that many of us feel is that we don't want our face, our, the Christian face to the world, to be law. Stop that. Don't do that. It's, you know, that, that type of thing. We want it to be the gospel. We want it to be the gospel of God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We want the focus to be on what Jesus has done, not on what we should or should not do. And yes, the Bible is very clear. God is very clear. The practice of homosexual sex, like any other sex outside of marriage, is outside of the way God wants us and has designed us to live. So Romans 1, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 6 and so on are very clear. But the message of the gospel is not law. What I have to do. Christianity is not about rules, it's about grace. What God has done for us in Jesus, even though we didn't deserve it. So much so that whatever we've done, forgiveness is available. We can be right with God through Jesus' death for our sin. That's what I want people to remember about Christians. The message. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. The gospel. So if we choose to speak... We'll need to do it in such a way that points people to the gospel, that welcomes sinners, sinners just like you and me. People just like you and me, just like God welcomes all sinners. Uh, talk that's Christ-honouring, talk that's gracious. The same-sex marriage debate could be seen as a frustrating distraction to the gospel, could see it that way. But I think if it's handled uh, with grace and love, can also be an opportunity to speak the truth in love. But shouldn't the church and state be separate, I hear you ask? <laughs> Someone asking that just down here, in fact, if you'd missed it. <laughs> Aren't we trying to impose a moral law or a moral view on others in our community? And didn't Jesus say, uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and to God what is God? Yes, Jesus did say that. For example, following that way of thinking, some Christians will decide that for the sake of Christ's honour, for Christ's honour, they will withdraw from the same-sex marriage debate and let the state do what the state does. Their fear, and I think fair enough, is that they don't want Christians to be seen or labelled as the moral policeman. It's not what the gospel's about, is it? I've just been saying. Now, my view, my personal view, and again, others may disagree, and that's okay, 
that if God's good design, God's design of marriage is good, if God's design of marriage is good, and something we'll get to in a moment as well, if it really is good for all of humanity, if it's good for creation, a creational good, as some theologians put it, then the loving thing to do, I think, is to speak, is to share that goodness. If we truly believe that proper human flourishing is living the way God has designed, then it would seem to me to be unloving not to speak and share that goodness. The Bible is clear, sex outside of God's good design of marriage, which includes unrestricted heterosexual sex and uh, homosexual practice, is not good. Uh, the Bible uses the term sinful. It's bad for people. So it seems to me that changing the definition of marriage to include same-sex couples will undermine support for the institution that humans have used for a very long time, I think since creation, to protect women and children by encouraging husbands to love their wives, to stay faithful and to care for their families. Of course, the same can be said for wives. If I love the people around me, I don't want them to live in a society where those things about family and marriage are undermined. However, Christians are not called to impose a belief. But by the grace of God, God has put us in a democratic country where we have the right to speak and we've got the right to argue what's best for our society. I think it shouldn't matter what motivates my argument or my motivation so on. Now, whatever the outcome in this debate, here's my plan. My plan as someone who believes that all scripture is God-breathed, and so I'm going to follow Romans 13. Romans 13 says I need to submit to my authorities. That's what I'm going to do. Now, we'll probably have to wait and see how, what that looks like in the future and what it will mean. Um, it might mean different things for me as an Anglican minister than for you. We'll see what happens. Um, so, to speak or not to speak, well, that's your call. That's your call. But if we do speak... Well, then, what should we speak about? What should we say? That's point two on our outline. I think we need to speak about the goodness of Christian marriage. That's what I think we need to speak about. Something which has shaped our current legal definition since it was written. So what is Christian marriage? Well, let's see what Jesus says about Christian marriage. He's someone I think we should listen to, don't you? So uh, how did Jesus define marriage? Well, Matthew 19 uh, is a good place to go. Jesus is opposing easy divorce. But note what he says as he answers the Pharisees' attempt to trap them. We'll read it through. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and for any and every reason? Haven't you heard, he replied, that, a, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let, not, uh, let man not separate. Jesus viewed marriage as gendered, lifelong, and exclusive in its intention. He quotes Genesis 1.27, going back to the way the world was created. Pre-sin, pre-the fall, God made humankind male and female. So two genders, and in the context there, equal but different, both in God's image and complementary as well. 
Then Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24, again, pre-fall, back to creation. And, he's, and he quotes Genesis 2.24 to say that it's for this reason, that's the, the maleness and femaleness, he's just been saying, that a man will leave his parents and marry a woman. So Jesus defines marriage as gendered, male and female. Now, the, the second essential part of the Bible's view on Christian marriage is that it's inherently oriented towards children. Sex is a gift from God for married couples, but it's also designed to make you parents. So back to Genesis 1.27, immediately following that verse, which Jesus refers to in Matthew 19, verse 4, which we read, is the verse where God blessed the man and woman and directed them to be fruitful and increase in number. You, you might remember that bit of Genesis, Genesis 1.28. In other words, the oneness that sex brings in marriage has a direct connection to God's desires for the next generation to be fruitful and increase in number. Children are not an afterthought or an optional lifestyle extra or lifestyle choice in Christian marriage. Hear me, hear me clearly. The intention of having children is part of the good purpose of Christian marriage. The prayer book actually puts it for the good order of society to, to be fill and multiply and so on. Studies show that kids do better when raised by their own natural mother and father. We ought to look very carefully into the methodology of studies which show otherwise. You can ask me personally about that later on. Um, we don't have time to go through it now. In other words, be critical. Just because a politician says it doesn't mean you should believe it. <laughs> be critical. If uh, our government aims to pass legislation that institutionally denies a child a natural mother and father... I think we ought to say something. That's my view. Even non-Christians have raised concerns about the welfare of children raised by same-sex partnerships. Uh, Jermaine Greer, is a, a, you might have heard, a well-known feminist, publicly spoke out about the marginalisation of motherhood that comes from gay parenting. Uh, Elton John. Elton John is in a gay uh, relationship, obviously, and... and um, he admitted his own heartbreak knowing that his son, and I quote, would grow up without a mummy. Well, there's one final reason why Christians believe Christian marriage is special and something we ought to speak about. We read it in Ephesians 5. A husband's love for his wife is, the, is an analogy of God's love for his people. So as a loving groom... Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her as, to make her holy, uh, as a radiant bride. As we read in Ephesians 5, Christian marriage teaches us about the cross of Christ. It ought to point people to Jesus. And they look at, if your marriage is a Christian marriage, if they look at your marriage, it ought to point people and witness to the gospel. That's what it ought to do. Okay, so, we going all right? <laughs> if you've been listening carefully, you would have noticed I've missed something so far. What about love? We haven't mentioned anything about love. Isn't marriage all about love? Jack Black thinks so, uh, and many other, others think so as well. Isn't marriage about love? Well, not really, no. <laughs> as I smile at my wife. Um, <laughs> Stay with me, though. 
Stay with me. I don't want to crush all the romantics out there, okay? I'm one of them. I'm one of the romantics. Um, Marriage is not defined by love. Even in the Marriage Act at, at, at present, it's not defined by love. It never has been. I think that's putting the cart before the horse, okay? Marriage is a promise. It's a covenant that you go into. Uh, It's a commitment. And in that commitment, we promise, we decide to love. Now, of course, love compels us to marry. When, When I was dating Michelle and I fell in love with Michelle, I wasn't thinking about the legal definition of marriage from the Marriage Act of 1961. Um, (laughs) I loved her. But marriage uh, is not love. Love is not marriage. So marriage is the horse that pulls the cart of love. Got it? (laughs) Now, let's do a what if. What if marriage is all about love, as some would argue? What if we do define it that way? Well, then the obvious consequence, the obvious logic, is that if if marriage is defined as anything, um, so long as there is love, so why not multiple wives? Why not? That's completely logical. We, We all love each other. Why not between an adult and a child? We express our love. Why not? Uh, As it stands, like many relationships and like many activities in life, marriage is discriminatory. It discriminates. It's only a particular type of relationship can be viewed as a marriage. Now, this doesn't mean that other relationships are necessarily wrong, not the examples I just gave, by the way, but they are not marriage. And we've got to ask, is it the state's business to regulate love anyway? How do you do that? Now, I've included in your outline a really great link uh, to an excellent article by a, a, um, an Anglican minister, a guy called David Ould, on this particular issue in this debate. It's on the Australian Gospel Coalition website. Worth reading, worth spending the time. Okay, so, so far we've asked this, these, this question. I've asked the question to speak or not to speak. Um, I've shared what I think on a personal level, and, um, and we touched on how we should speak in that context. Second thing we said, well, we then asked, what should we say if we are to speak? I argued for um, that we speak of the goodness of Christian marriage. And some Christians use the term that Christian marriage or marriage is a creational good. Now, finally, we ought to ask the question, well, what should we do? What should we do? Let's go back to Jesus. Let's see what Jesus did. If you've got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 8. Um, it'll be up on the screen again, but it's helpful to see the whole context. And you might want to read ahead and so on. Here in Romans 8, 1 to 11, Jesus is interrogated by the Pharisees. And they are hoping to trap him on what should we be done about this sinful woman who's uh, had an affair. She's, she's been a bit unfaithful to her husband. So let's have a look at John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. But, when, uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using the question to, uh, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, stood up, and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away at one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. What should we do? Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. So what did Jesus do in this scene? He did three things. First, he defended against bullies. Notice that? Now the Pharisees, bullies. So when we disapprove of actions, it shouldn't mean uh, harshness or ridicule or finger pointing and so on. It must not include bullying. In fact, we should stand up for the weak. Christians should stand up for the powerless. Christians should stand up for those who are bullied. Two, Jesus showed great compassion on this sinful woman. He didn't reject her, didn't make fun of her. He, he didn't turn his back on her. He loved her, took pity on her, spoke to her, uh, cared for her. We ought to do the same with those we disagree with. Remember, as Jesus said, we are all sinners. We've all fallen short. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. They all walked away. Third, Jesus tells the truth. In this case, he, stops, he tells her to stop sinning. What does he say? Go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't gloss over the issue. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He tells the truth. Now, more than anything, we need to keep speaking about the truth of Jesus. We won't save a culture by pleading morality. Morality doesn't save. Only Jesus saves. So speak the truth about Jesus, the forgiveness he offers, the love he has for all sinners like you and me. Now, my view is we need to speak and defend Christian marriage, especially in our church, in our church community, in our churches. We should speak up about the goodness of Christian marriage. Remember, our young people are growing up in a world where family breakups are the norm. You're weird if you, if you uh, don't have sex before marriage. And homosexuality is perfectly normal. That's the world they're growing up in. So this leads me to the second point about what we should do. If you're married, uh, you ought to practice Christian marriage. Friends, our ongoing focus should be on where the battle is really fought. That's in our homes. For that's where we get to show our friends and family the goodness of Christian marriage. Remember from Ephesians 5, Christian marriage ought to point people to the cross. It's a great witness to the gospel. In our homes, marriage is... Marriage is, uh, uh, is where we get to show off to the world the true complementary nature of Christian marriage. Where Christ-like husbands live with their wives with understanding and refuse to distort God's view of marriage by being a wimp or by being a tyrant. And where wives respect their husbands for the, sake, uh, for the Lord's sake rather than falling to the distortion of being doormats or usurpers, underminers. Whatever the outcome, the real battle for marriage is first and last on the ground. As the world sees the goodness of Christian marriage, where husbands and wives under the lordship of Christ live out order and equality and love and respect. 
Uh, one of the articles listed on the resources page uh, finishes and closes with this quote. The better our marriages, the more powerful is our argument that God's way is indeed the best way. Well, let's pray and then I'm going to run out that door over there. <laughs> uh, we'll have some time for questions and we'll see how that goes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for the goodness of, of, of Christian marriage. Thank you for that, that gift. Uh, thank you that marriage as it stands um, is a gift for all. Lord, we pray uh, for those of us who are married. Uh, we pray that our marriage may reflect the gospel, may point people to Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those of us who are not married. And we, we, uh, we thank you for their, their uh, service and friendship amongst, amongst us. Um, we pray for sensitivity as well as we uh, talk to them. And Lord, we, um, we pray for love and sensitivity as we talk to those uh, in our community and elsewhere who may or may not um, be struggling with this issue. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'll give you a moment to, to think. Um, don't forget if there's the comment card there. If you've got a question that you'd rather not ask publicly and you want me to get back to you personally, um, I can uh, catch up with you during the week. I'm very, very happy to come and chat with you. Um, that'll be great. Jennifer. Yeah, actually, we, we, that came out. Was it in a kid's spot, I think, the other week? Love is a doing word, yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Just right at the start of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, it might be 1 Corinthians 13 halfway down as well. I've got to give. Um, you know what? We're going to talk about it next week. Yep. So, yeah. So love, 13, 13 verse 4. That, that is part of love, yes. They're saying what? Well, I, my, my world yep. okay, but I don't have Yes, that's right. Excellent, excellent point. Thank you, Jennifer. Chris? Yeah, there's there's um, different Greek words for love, but one of the one of the great passages when we talk about love is to go back to one uh, John four nine and ten, um, which talks about this is love, not that we love God, we we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. What's love? That's what love is. Love is is um, is Christ dying for us. Love is an action. Um, and so on. yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah. David. Having said that, then how does it make Yeah, that's true. Um, two questions there. Thanks, David. Let's. The, the first one, just remind me the first one again. What's the wording? The, the love. Um, 
I'm, I'm caught up on the Anglican one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, you're right. It won't really. But I, but I want to argue that that um, and there's plenty, and there's Christians who disagree with me. That's fine. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Um, I'm I, I want to argue that the Christian uh, that traditional marriage as it stands, based on Christian marriage, I think it's fair enough to argue that um, is a good for society. And I want I I think the love and reaction is to speak about that good, not impose, but speak about that good. And so, hold on, Jennifer, David's turn. Um, so to speak about that good, uh, I, think, I think is a good reaction for Christians. Now, as I said, some Christians might decide not to do that. Um, but I don't, I, to change the definition of marriage to be all about love is a, is also has direct consequences and logical consequences. That wasn't the point I'm making. Yep. I think it, I think it does. No, but I think families are. I don't think the concept of family and children. Um, well, I, I suppose personally, I, I think so. Is that families? Um, uh, I, I touched on it, and I suppose I didn't, I more than touched on it. I talked about how the the if we institutionally change the definition of marriage to. Um, to uh, not allow a child to have their natural mother and father, I think that has a detrimental effect on the children, the child. Now, that's um, you know, there are obvious examples where that's um, that's different. Now, now we won't. You and I don't need to get started on that. We we'd agree there. But if we institutionally change the definition, now, you know that has an effect on children. I'm talking about it, that, that opening that up. Um, now, of course, uh, there are loving single parents um, who, who raise their children very, very well. Of course, there are adopted children who love their children very, very well and are great parents, of course. But if we in, in, uh, institutionally change that definition, my argument is that that has a detrimental effect on society. They don't have their loving mother and father. On the other question about Anglican stuff, um, Look, I, I, I don't expect a knock on the door asking if the law does change. Um, there is a little bit of reason for concern. There's a Senate inquiry right now about um, protection for, for ministers of religion as they, um, if the law does change and if they're allowed to say no. Uh, it, it, I, 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 my feeling is most... I don't think Anglicans are head up about it in any particular way. I know a lot of Anglicans who are just going to say, if the law changes, then we're not confident. I'll just throw in my um, marriage celibacy licence. That's pretty easy to do. So that may be what I do. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, Yeah, I'd say no. I'd, I'd say I wouldn't do it. But I wouldn't. Um, why? No, I said that's right. Yeah. Because you, you, that's what I am. Yeah, that's right. But I, I, as I just responded to that, I don't think that's... For me, it's not a biggie. And for most Anglican news, it's not a biggie. Um, I'm not stressed about it. Kevin, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that cleared a lot Caring love and 
still left with committed and caring love, that is the cradle of romance even as well. Yeah. And um, like friendships are about giving. And it says in the Bible, you know, you have to submit to your husband and, and love your wife. And part of that submitting is caring, as looking after their, their needs, whether they be physical, sexual needs, or uh, cooking the dinner, or having conversation, or going to Rome or something. It doesn't matter. It's about caring love. And yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that, that cleared it up for me. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah thanks. So that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, how are we going? Any other? That's that's a little bit off the topic of what we've been talking about. But that's a really good point. We're actually going to talk about that a bit more in the coming. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Thanks, Kevin. That's good. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Kim, last one. Yeah, we have time. Um, yes, is the answer. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, we could just change the word, um, and and that's probably my. If the door, if the law does get changed and, and and includes marriage is defined by same-sex marriage, um, then I think, uh, yeah, we, we maybe I'll talk. Maybe I'll. You notice today I was very careful in my wording for lots of reasons, but I was careful about that I talked about Christian marriage a lot. I didn't actually use the word marriage, I used Christian marriage. And so that's probably what we'll do more and more of, I guess. My lovely wife. I just, just to add to that, that is exactly the situation in lots of other countries where the state's definition of marriage doesn't accord with a Christian definition of marriage. It just so happens that we've lived in a country for a while where the two were one, and maybe that's the future for Australia, is that they will not be one, and that will be just like lots and lots of countries yep. around the world where Christians set their marriage apart from what the state. Mm. And, and just in Dubai, when I was a celebrant for, for marriages there, um, I did Christian marriages. That's what I did. And the state actually supported me to do Christian marriages. They also supported other people to do Muslim marriages and to do Buddhist marriages and, and um, I don't know what they call them, atheist marriages. But anyway, <laughs> non-believing marriages. <laughs> What's that? Um, anyway, but that's, that's how they did it. And that may be the road we're, we're taking. I don't know. Yeah. That is called a marriage. You're right. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Beck? What, what, um, what's the difference then? Um, you obviously haven't married in your life when you married non-believers. Can you unwrap that? Like, what that they, when I married non-believers, um, so that my, just worth you to know as well, I, I meet them, um, I meet married couples six times before they're going to get married. Um, if they're non-believers, they'll, they'll hear the gospel usually through 
uh, numerous ways, but they'll, on the third time we meet, we talk about um, Christian marriage and we do a Bible study on Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5 points me to the cross every time. So I'll do two ways to live with them. Um, I'll be um, as sensitive and loving as I can, but very forthright, and I'll say to them, just being recorded, Rod, probably not being recorded this, but anyway. I'll, I'll say to them, if, if you say these things and you're not a believer, you're lying to the people in front of you. And I'll, I'll get to that point. Um, if they want a Christian marriage, a Christian wedding, and they've come to me for that, then I'm going to give them one. But I don't want them to lie to me, and I, don't, I certainly don't want them to lie to their friends and lie to God. Um, and usually they sit there in fear and trembling and then say, yes, 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 yes. Um, but I know for a fact they lie to me, and that's pretty disheartening at times. Um, but that's all I can do. There you go. Yeah, it does happen. Um, yeah, I could tell you more stories, but I, but I won't at this point. Uh, yeah. Last, any other questions, comments? Okay. Why don't I... Uh, <laughs> some of us have had enough. Stop it. Stop it now. Um, shall I pray for us? I think we will sing. We'll sing, yeah. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Um, Lord, uh, Lord, you know what's best. And um, Lord, please give us wisdom and uh, give us godliness and sensitivity and help us to be like Jesus in all these conversations. Um, not sure some of the answers are, and, and it's a complica complicated and tricky issue. But Father, we pray that in all things we would, we would glorify you in uh, all that we do. Um, and uh, we would want to be people who, who talk about Jesus and to preach Jesus and to, uh, in our actions, point to Jesus. So help us with that. Father, thank you for today. In his name we pray. Amen.